You're listening to Gypsy Between the Lines, where we have real discussions about real issues in public safety. Hey guys, this is Mackenzie. Welcome back to our podcast. I am probably not a voice anyone remembers, but I was on the first episode. And we do have Megan Etheridge here today with us and Brad McKinney and Keegan Merritt. First, I want to just say thank you to everyone for listening. I usually produce the podcast. I'm not usually a host, but I did get to sit in today and I just wanted to say thank you all for listening. It's been almost two years this September that we officially launched this podcast. And we just want to say thank you for the support. And if anyone ever has any feedback or topics, suggestions, don't forget that you can email us at learn at gpstc.org. Today's topic is stress management. And we've probably heard about stress management a lot, but hopefully something today sticks with someone um, that stands out that maybe you hear it differently. You can apply it to your life. But I'm just going to let everyone, we haven't had Brad before, but everyone else you're probably familiar with. But Brad, you can start. Good morning. Brad McKinney. I'm a manager in the police academy, and the stress management program is one of those areas that I'm responsible for. I think today one of the things we talk about is that stress relating to the job, not just police, law enforcement, but public safety as a whole, because it's all intertwined. All right, Keegan. Everyone's probably very familiar with you, but hey, what do you do again? I'm Keegan Merritt with the Office of Public Safety Support, which is essentially the state peer team. There's nine of us, and we're excited to be here again to talk about a, a very hot topic right now in the law enforcement community and the first responder community as a whole. First, I want to say thank you for both of y'all being here. Thank you, Keegan, for coming back. Brad, thank you for joining us because this is a huge topic we need to talk about. I think that we all definitely agree on that. So I'm very thankful that you're both here today. And you mentioned the stress related to the job, Brad, and you also talked about personal stress when you were introducing yourself. Can you talk a little bit about how stress in your personal life, stress on the job, how can that affect you? Hans Seeley probably the, the father of stress management and research, started back in the 30s. He said that it's not the stress that kills us, it's our reaction to it. Police, fire, 911, communications all have very unique jobs that deal with human suffering. So the on-the-job stress is just something that the general public doesn't fully grasp or understand because they're not exposed to it. That job stress then goes home with you and compounds all the personal stress. The stuff you have in your life, all the other just family, divorce, marriage, childbirth, the hassles of life, take the job stress on top of that and compounds it. So managing it, coping with it, finding a way to be resilient Mm -hmm. is really, really what we need to start teaching people. We have a lot of 1-800 numbers, a lot of places to get help and get support. But if we don't have a culture that supports that Mm -hmm. support, then we're not really doing anybody any favors. Those that can't self-regulate will Mm self-medicate. If we don't handle it or find a way to cope, it's natural we will gravitate to something that's not healthy to Mm -hmm. cope for that. Inevitable, yeah. Which, Keegan, I feel like you probably have a little bit to say about that because you've had some stress and you found coping mechanisms that were negative coping mechanisms. Oh, absolutely. You know, so after being shot for eight months, I pills and alcohol. And the only reason I was doing it, not only for the pain, but for to numb everything else out. I mean, it's, Mm -hmm. you know, that's uh, a big part of it is that we just really don't want to exist in that, that suffering right there at, the, at that moment. So that's how I coped with it was with the alcohol, was taking the pills, and it would just numb out the, the nightmares and different things like that. Mm-hmm. You reached your capacity of what you could handle, and you had to do something to alleviate that stress. Right. On yourself. And that's, so a lot of it is you're taken out of your norm. And when I go and talk to different shooters and different first responders that have been in traumatic incidents, it's especially the wounded guys that we were all this, whatever we were in our, in our own minds. For me, it was, you know, I was the breacher. I was this, this guy. I was an FTO. I was all these different things. I was a dad. I was a supporter of the home. And then in a day, in 11 minutes of being on, on that scene, my world changed. And now I was having to be cared for. Mm-hmm. That turns your whole world around. And the other ones that I've talked to, other wounded guys I've talked to, it's, it's the same. We, we all have the same story is that I'm not that same person that I thought I was. 
or am I ever going to get back to that person? Yeah. Um, so change period whether good or bad is usually stressful it is in and of itself yours was a huge change but i think change period can be very stressful yeah and 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 change is good Mm -hmm. you know negative or positive it it helps you grow yep um we don't like it in the moment right but it's very good so if that didn't if that didn't happen to me then i wouldn't be sitting right here yep you know, I wouldn't have been able to met guys like Justin Weaver, Matt Cooper, you know, all the folks that I've gone and met throughout the country, I would have never got to do that. I would have still been in a patrol car sitting in Henry County somewhere. So it's a blessing. Mm-hmm. At the time, it was stressful and traumatic, but yep. now, now you had a greater purpose. So now, yeah, you're absolutely. Living. Yeah. And Brad actually teaches stress management here at Gypstick, if we didn't mention that. So if his name sounds familiar, yep, he teaches here. If you ever wanted to take a stress management class in person, maybe get more in-depth information than this podcast or just different information, you can register and come to Brad's class. Do you want to tell us anything about your class, Brad? Currently, what we got is two days of really taking a look at yourself on what's causing stress. How are you currently handling it? What are some ways to help cope with that stress? And Mackenzie sat through it, and it's really mm-hmm. a, a hard look, an honest look at yourself and where you're at to help identify where those blind spots are. What issues do we have? Keegan was talking about his coping, the negative coping. Sometimes it's blatant and right there in your face. Mm-hmm. I came back from Iraq in 2003, and it was subtle. I didn't notice any of the changes in me. Everybody else around me did, but I didn't notice any changes. Gotcha. It took 12 months to kind of normalize back out. And even then, it's still still there. And that's something that y'all also have in common. So I know Keegan didn't mention this in this one, but he's actually a vet as well. So I'm sure he probably has some similar... Oh, yeah. When I think you mentioned before when you talked about being in the service that maybe that experience didn't affect you like the shooting did. I didn't notice it, but after talking to my wife, you know, we sat down after all this time and she was like, so after I was shot, she would find me sitting in the living room, just Mm -hmm. being there, like uh, just a shell. And she's like, you were doing that stuff when you were, you know, coming home from Mm -hmm. deployments, you were just sitting there staring off into nothing. And, you know, your emotions, your lack of emotions were gone. Your, everything else was gone. You know, you just don't notice it. Or it doesn't get brought up during those times. Yeah. It's harder for ourselves, I feel like, maybe just me, to realize changes in myself. But yeah, the people around us, thankfully your wife saw patterns and could pick up that. And, and did your wife speak notice about that as well, Brad? She did. It's uh, those uncomfortable conversations that yeah. we tend to avoid because mm-hmm. we don't want to. And then... Sure, Keegan was probably this way too. Now you're questioning my manhood, my masculinity, mm-hmm. my being, because um, you're comes across in a negative way and not a nurturing, helpful way. Yeah. So we need more of this. We need to we need to talk about it and actually put it out there. It is what it is. It's, yeah. It's a few days in my life I should have died. We didn't. Right. Mm-hmm. It's just it's just part of life and acknowledging that. So and how what, to talk about it. Yeah. And so what would either of y'all recommend to spouses? Like, how could they approach you in a different way that might would encourage you to get help as opposed to making you feel defensive about it? I think it'd have to be, be a peer group of some sort. My wife had no idea what I went through. Mm-hmm. Anybody else in the military that wasn't doing my job had no idea what I did. It's hard getting a counselor or getting somebody to talk to that doesn't have that understanding or experience. That's right. It'd be even more frustrating, I feel like. I'm like, you, you don't get it. You can't yeah. relate. Yeah. So you don't be, understand. Hey, you well, went to school. Great. You have no idea what I went through. Right. Yeah. And once again, you're also worried about that trauma because you don't want to traumatize somebody you love because you don't want to put them through that either. Right. And And so like my spouse and then other spouses that we go and see of combat veterans, I didn't want to know what he was doing because I didn't want to be be worrying constantly. If he wasn't able to call that day, is he is he dead or is he just can't call? You know, so that was her stress on the home front Mm -hmm. is that they were going through probably worse than what I was going through. Yeah, we're doing the stuff. But at home, they're worrying, they're doing Am I going to get a phone call? Is it someone going to knock on my door? Am, am I going to see this on the news? If I look at Facebook, am I going to see this? You know, so it's, 
it's hard to bring the families together after a soldier deploys and comes back. And the military might be better now. I've been out since 2012, but when I was in, it was you came home, you filled out a piece of paper saying that you weren't crazy or you didn't have a drinking problem. You didn't have these things. You checked off the boxes so you can go on leave. Yeah. You weren't honest about it. Yeah, I wouldn't be either. Did you, have a, did you have a transitioning period coming back? Initially in 2003, we didn't. I left Baghdad and two days later, I'm home. Right. We, no, learned, we, we learned from that. Now we have three, four days, get them in a small group, have some facilitated conversation. Mm-hmm. What year was that? that? Oh, for me, it was 03. We okay. changed probably 2004 or 5, really relatively quick. Hmm. Then we're also a very small group of the military collectively. So it's not okay. just the Air Force. It's the Air Force, the Army, the Navy, the Marines. Right jointly have a program so it's a little easier to institute something than for the masses the other thing is teaching people how to handle that with spouses and members not just military but our uh, public safety folks that when you're on the job the refrigerator shutting down at home is the emergency you're out saving the world but at home that refrigerator is the emergency and understand that the priorities are very different one's not higher than the other Mm -hmm. Because for the individuals, that's the highest one there is. Well, and you also have to think about it, too. So I know that y'all were talking about, you know, military, all of that. But when we think about law enforcement, we think about 911, we think about fire. Every single day is basically a deployment. Oh, yeah. Because yes. every day you're out there. So it relates. I know some people like, are like, oh, I don't want to talk about military at the same time that I talk about public safety. But there are some similarities there. Oh, absolutely. I think public safety work is probably even more so because mm-hmm. I'm immersed for six months or a year. That's right. There's no in and out, up There's and down. There's an end right. to yeah. it. I mean, There's 911 communications, go to work, and they're dealing with all that human suffering for 8, 10, 12 hours. Then they got to go home and be a mother, be a father, make dinner, and change diapers. Mm-hmm. That's right. And then the next day, they're in it again. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Yeah, you get to separate your responsibilities. <clears throat> yeah, for mm-hmm. the military, it's I can compartmentalize longer instead of every eight or 10 hours in and out, back and forth, up and down. And you're able to deal with it differently. When we would go through stuff, like in Afghanistan, we would go through something. You didn't have time to go home and and deal with other problems. You'd have an incident, you would brief and talk about it, and then you're back on it. You're on that rotation again, but you're not having to deal with that other, Mm -hmm. that extra compound of home stress too. Mm You know, I tell my wife all the time, like, war is easy. That was the yeah. easy part. Coming home was tough. Yeah. Coming home to a new baby, coming home to all these different things, these taking care of things, being responsible. When you're at war, you, you go on missions, you come home, eat chow, and go to bed and go on missions again. Mm-hmm. Just, just something as simple as picking out what box of cereal to buy at the grocery store is that's challenging. Right. That's right. And that's the same with officers. And, and we see that all the time is that they'd rather be at work mm-hmm. than at home. Because home life is hard. And that's a coping skill that can be good or bad. People submerge yourself in work all the time. And they forget about the folks that are sitting at home. Yeah. Mom and dad are at work every, every mm-hmm. day, work, every chance they get. Work has hard rules. Yeah. Either A, I can. No, you can't. Yeah. At home, we don't have the same. That's right. You're the boss. The same, we don't have, but, it's, but it's not. I'm not the boss. It's married. <laughs> you know, there's kids. You know, if you have yeah. children, young children, yeah. they're in charge running things. Right. <laughs> there is no hard and fast way to do it at home. That's yeah. right. There's no quick solution. No. One of the things with it, we talk about burnout. One of the other terms, uh, shell shock, is mm-hmm. compassion fatigue, I think is a new one. But mm-hmm. it's that overwhelming dealing with human suffering for long term compounds. It does yeah. build and build and build. So that at work, I'll bet Keegan was this way, probably all of us. We don't blow up and snap at work. Mm-hmm. We wait till we get home and snap at home. That's right. Yeah. Because people at home love me, so they're going to deal with this. Yeah. Yeah. There's no repercussions at home. So we have a kind of a safe space. Yeah. Safe space, so to speak. Even though in reality, this probably should be the other way. It should right. blow up at work and not at home. That was not a suggestion. <clears throat> no. <laughs> no suggestion. Yeah. No. No. That's reality, though. I mean, you, you work your 10, 12s, whatever, 8s, whatever it is, and you're cool, calm, and collective all the way through, and then you go home and take it out on the wife and kids yep. or yep. the husband and kids, whatever they may be, because... The towels weren't folded. Right. Towels weren't folded. <laughs> or, But you get home, and the kids want to play with you now. Well, I just 
got off at 12, I'm tired, I'm doing all this. They want to play with dad. Yeah, and they only grow up once. Right. Yep. And you're missing all this time with them, and you're going to look back, and that's that's what I wish I could tell young Merritt. You know, I'm still pretty young, but I wish I can go back and tell them, like, hey, those part-times, those all that extra overtime, I know we don't get paid a lot. I know we don't do that, but there's so many things that I miss that I wish I could go back and have that memory with them. It's hard but, to impart the value of that to somebody that's struggling for other stuff and their the priorities change right. through life. What's important to me now wasn't 20, 30 years ago. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we also talk about anxiety and depression a lot, and it relates to stress. How do you discuss that in your class, Brad? What I started utilizing is, uh, I think it's a GAD-7 and uh, some other clinical assessments. I don't want answers. Don't want to know what you think because we start getting into mental health and medical stuff. But I think it's important for individuals to understand what are those signs of anxiety. We may actually have depression. They have some anxiety issues. And I realize it or want to acknowledge it because we don't think it's an issue. I'm coping. Right. I'm fine. I wake up every day. I go home. And I, my dad was a, I would say alcoholic, but never went to meetings. He was a professional. He would up at five, go to work all day, come home and drink all night. Next, and next day, up at 5 a.m., same right. thing. No Back issues, completely functioning. In his mind, he wasn't an alcoholic. He held a steady job and went to work. He didn't have an issue. I think having some of those assessments with depression and anxiety, having depression, we all get depressed. It all happens. We all get a little sad. It's when it's long-term and doesn't end or doesn't stop or we don't see a way out. Anxiety. Is it hypervigilance? Is it anxiety? Is it paranoia? Or am I just being prepared? Well, and we also hey, I like that. It's a crazy prepared. mix. It's a crazy you mix know? of the world. Yes. Am, am I prepared that this way I never sit with my back to the door? Yeah. Or do I have some anxiety and some <laughs> other hypersensitive issues that I need to worry about and maybe try to cope with? Mm-hmm. So it's, it's getting people to look at what are the, they're short, five, six, seven questions. Same things if you went to a counselor or went to a clinician to see, hey, I think I'm having some troubles. Let's do it here in a safe spot in your time with you doing it instead of being mandated to go get help. Try to acknowledge it ahead of time. It may be temporary. It may just be short term. It doesn't have to be, I got a full-blown condition that I need to go get help for. Well, and some people also don't realize that those symptoms, signs, symptoms, they can also turn physical. There can also be things that you realize that way, but it might be some ailment you're having that you don't even realize is related to that stress and sometimes people don't recognize that either exactly it's the signs symptoms of compassion fatigue burnout stress i think there's what a hundred and some of them that you can have yeah like digestive issues like there's all kinds of that could have just been that you know stress induced could just been eating a bad burger the day before It manifests itself in muscle tension, you know, yeah. mm-hmm. headaches, migraines. headaches, breakout in a rash. Right. I mean, hives, hives different yeah. things like that. We've, I have seen people break out in a rash in a hive because they thought they were exposed to something unknown. Right. Wow. Yeah, they and were exposed to a ballpoint pen in a sealed envelope. But in their mind, that was the WMD that the bad guys were sending Man, to kill them. Man, your mind is powerful. Oh, it is. Very much. In public safety, not just in law enforcement, we have a silent rule of suck it up, pull it together. That's right. All those typical things that you hear, which we're trying to change the whole narrative on mental health. But I want to hear a little bit about, you know, those experiences y'all have had where you've been told to suck it up, get over it, move on. How did they impact you? So this happened pretty recently. I won't name the agency. I won't put it out there. But teaching a class on peer support which is all we're talking about here is peer support and where you can go get help. And a certain person came to me. I had Garth with me, and he started questioning the legitimacy of Garth and his service dog capacity. And I started telling him about it, and I started telling him, you know, what he does for me, what he does for other officers and other first responders, not just me. And uh, he said it out of his mouth, and there was witnesses there that you should be able to just suck this up. I've been in two wars, been 30 years law enforcement, and you should be able to suck it up. Not even knowing my story, but just because I had Garth with me, he thought it was weak of me to have Garth. After he sat through He wasn't in the class. Okay, got it. But it was just, some people are just still stuck in that 
if I'm walking around this earth and and I'm sure something is bothering him, that mm-hmm. the, the person clearly. But he's been told from generations, and right. you should be able to just shut up, tie your boots up, and let's roll. That other people shouldn't have certain emotions. That you shouldn't have some reactions to whatever you may go through. But it was clear to me that there was something going on in him because, first of all, you don't know who I am. You don't know Garth right. and what he does, how amazing he is. Well, hey, you had the opportunity to say all the positive things about Garth and how it's yeah. not weak at all. But it was just his purpose, the reason I had Garth, mm-hmm. which I didn't even tell him the reason I had Garth. Right. It was just because he was a service dog, he knew that it was for something. Maybe emotional. He didn't know Garth is a medical alert dog, so he can do so many other things than help me when I'm having panic attacks. Right. He can do other things, but it didn't even get to that point until he, he spouted out, you know, that we should be able to suck it up. And his people were in the room in there. And this is a class you're having about peer support. So that mentality is still out there. Unfortunately, it's not. Yeah, he's suffering, but the people that are really suffering are the folks that had to be around that. Yeah. yeah. And not only that, but a whole nother generation is being trained. Right. Suck it up. And it's crazy is because we had 30-year law enforcement guys in there that are like, I need this. We need this. Because they were told to suck it up. Because they were told, you go through something, if you can't handle it, you should get out of this profession. So what do we do? We lock it down. Because we love this job. We love law enforcement. We love being a fireman. We love being dispatched. So then that causes compound problems right. later mm-hmm. why why do we have excessive use of force issues because right. i got some internal things i'm doing right. and i'm not allowed to externalize it any mm-hmm. so now i'm frustrated mad depressed maybe abusing substances sure. it's going to come out some mm-hmm. other way right. typically in a well we see form. it we see it in there's i mean there's videos on different social media sites that of officers just losing it i'm not saying in a physical way but yelling well, at yeah. folks just from the window just going at it and you can obviously tell there's something a speeder should not make you that mad right no a seatbelt should not make you that mad there is something on the backside that you're using that person as they're just in the line of sight and that's what i was that day i was just in his light of sight mm-hmm. and he was like all right i'm mad i'm angry boom this is what it's going to yeah. be and that's and then we say that all the time the more people we influence, like situations just like that, that class, you had 30-year yeah. veterans or whatever saying they need help. The more people you influence, the more they can influence people, and it'll just trickle out. And that's why we just have to keep talking about it because it just has to be said, and it has to be eventually. I mean, it takes a village, but we can change a culture if everyone is on the Every same track. Every village does have an idiot. <laughs> it's changing right as we're talking. Yeah. yeah. You know, we're getting phone calls, we're getting emails, we're getting agencies that you would have never thought the sheriff would have never been a part yeah, of this. You have he's, a job. A old, he's an old school <laughs> sheriff, you know, that he's calling and saying, My guys need help. And you're like, Holy crap. Those, those are, are the, the those are the ones those I'm are like the people. Man, we we yes. scored. You mm-hmm. know, that's the score right there. Well, and not only that, but I also I have to applaud Brad too at the training center because he's getting to teach younger officers. Officers have been in it for a while. And not just officers, public safety. So he is getting to go ahead and change that mindset as well. So that's making a difference too. Mm-hmm. He also makes it a safe space to get out some yeah. frustration yep. sometimes. Right. One rule, open, honest conversation, no attribution, no retribution. Mm-hmm. What we say in here, we don't need to name names, name agencies, because we're not sure. talking about specifics. It's the mm-hmm. process. And then we understand that, oh, I'm not alone. This happens to other people. Right. It's happened to other mm-hmm. places. My experience, we had small teams, so we, we did suck it up. We didn't quit. If I quit, that hurts somebody else. That's right. But at the same point, we also need to admit, hey, I'm at my weak point now. I can't keep going. Keep going. Somebody right. has to tag, right. tag in for yeah. me because if I do keep going and then I fail, other people get hurt. Other mm-hmm. people fail, yeah. and it compounds that way. So it's, for me, it was we knew we had to suck it up, but when it got to a point where we couldn't, we had other people that we could rely on. We had that network, that group. And that's what we train. We train guys and we tell peers when we're training them and when we're going to these agency heads, we're not trying to say, hey, these officers are going to back out because something's too stressful. We want these guys to be able to go in there, handle business, but on the backside of it, when 
all said and done, the dust has settled, they could say, that sucked. Mm-hmm. Right. Process it. I need, I need to talk to somebody about yeah. this. Mm-hmm. It's not about, can I move forward? It's, hey, I just went through this. What do I expect? What did you go through? And if I go through something and I reach out to you and you're like, well, yeah, man, I went through the same, I had the same thing. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it, was, it was crazy. And you're like, holy crap, I'm not the only one that's gone through yeah. that. You just have to get over that hump. Right. And it's beneficial. It's never going to be bad. You can be a better you. You can yeah. do your job better. You can protect the public better because you're better. <laughs> and so. you can also be a better family member, whether it's a dad, <laughs> a mom, a sibling, anything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It just takes that one step. I think uh, one of the things we have is we always talk about resiliency and the ability to bounce back. I don't think we really explain what bounce back means. I don't expect you to go through an event and then immediately you're bounced back at yeah. 100%. That's not resiliency. Right. Resiliency is you go through an event and you don't dip as low and mm-hmm. you come back quicker, not a instantaneous bounce back. You'll gain some endurance and be able to <clears throat> not do the same Yeah, not, again. not drop as far. Yeah. And then the next time you're stronger for that right. post-traumatic growth. And you learn from it every time that you, you're getting that growth. Exactly. Yep. It's, it's challenging with the public safety careers because the communication folks, yes, they're in the same room, but they're busy the whole shift. They can't just break away for an hour and go have a conversation about what's mm-hmm. going on. Officers, they're spread all over the place, so leadership can't get them together as a group. Firefighters may be about the only uniqueness as far as they live together for days on end, but still there's stuff that has to be done. It's not like a free-for-all just, you know, video game. Well, and they're not having those honest conversations either in those rooms. They're talking about things that have, they're not talking about their emotions about how they no. felt about the event. That's what we're trying to change is that you talk about, man, I went home and I cried. And it, that doesn't make you a, a weak cop, doesn't mm-hmm. make you a weak fireman, doesn't make you a weak dispatcher, EMS, whatever. The whole first responder doesn't make you weak because you went home and had an emotion about something or you got into your car and you broke down. That doesn't mean anything. That means that you have compassion. That means that you still have your emotions intact where you didn't lose them. There's a time in my military career and then all the way into my police career where I I didn't have emotions. I lost that side. And I hate and I beat myself up for it now because there was times I should have cried, but I didn't. The lack of emotions, lack of compassion that Culture kind of dictates we do. The job kind of dictates we do. What we do just to cope That's right. on scene at the moment versus, you know, letting it out. Well, and that, and that turns, you bring that home with you. The lack of emotions towards that because you see so many dead bodies. You do so much CPR on somebody. You've worked so many fires where fatalities. you worked fires with bodies in them. You have done all those things. At some point, it has to, you can't have emotions about all of it, or you're going to drive yourself crazy. I talked to a young officer this past week, and he asked me, he's like, he worked a CPR on an older person, and then he worked a fatality of a DUI driver. And I, he said, I thought I should have had emotions about those, or I, I thought I should have had some kind of feelings about them. And then when he went and told somebody that wasn't in first responder community about them and the lack of whatever, mm-hmm. you know, emotions that he should have or shouldn't have had, he's like, is that normal? Should I have had something? And I'm like, no. If you have an emotion about every single call you go to, you're gonna yeah. be, you're not gonna be in this profession very long. Yeah. You know, there was. I've never worked Atlanta, but I've heard about all the the murder, the just the deaths in general. It doesn't have to be a murder, but in Henry, there was times where we were working four a week of deaths, suicides, murders, different things mm-hmm. like that, and we're not as big as some of the other agencies. If you had an emotion about every one of those. You would drive yourself crazy. You know? It's balancing reality right. with humanity. If every single thing that you'd respond to, dispatch to, see, or be involved with drove those strong emotions, we wouldn't be able to do anything. That's exactly Some of that's right. just internal coping as well. And it's sad somebody got drunk and died mm-hmm. in a car wreck. But the calculating side of me, there's, you know, how many thousands, hundreds of thousands get right. drunk, go drive, and have a car wreck. You know, we can't save every single person so right. we can't let ourselves react to every single thing but at some point we still need to recognize that there right. is an effect at some point on and us and that's what i told him is it's good that he brought that up because that he's, he not, even realized. he's not sitting there wondering well i'm crazy am i broke am i i'm broke 
I'm already broke. He was a young officer, barely into the career. And if he'd held on to that, he would have been, who knows, he might not have been in his career anymore. But you know what? Also, the fact that he did reach out now, unfortunately, it's not an if, it's a when. He does have a traumatic event. Now he has a connection with you. So right. he knows that he can reach back out when something happens next yeah. time. And he has somebody he can trust to talk to it about. Right. And that's all it's about, really, is having somebody there you can reach out to. But also recognizing that having emotion, don't have an emotion, is still normal. Or having it three weeks later. Having it three weeks later. Three months later. Still Six normal. months later. That's all. And we just got to start. And I'm glad that Gypstick and there's other training places that are starting to push this. The mental health side, the stress management, the resiliency, you know, that's going to start being mandated. As it should be. As it should be. But it needs to be trained more. We teach guys how to shoot. We teach guys how to drive. We teach them how to arrest people. We teach them all these different things, how to work a crime scene, how to work a fatality accident. But we don't teach them that if you go to a scene and, and something there makes it personal, how are you going to react to that? Yeah. How are you going to react to holding a small child and you have a small child back at home? That makes it personal. Or working an elderly person and she's the same age as your grandmother. That makes those things personal. And those are the ones that are going to connect and you're going to be like, you're going to have some emotions about it. It's not every one of them. And that's what I told him. It's not going to be every one, but there is going to be some that hit you harder. And you're not going to know where that came from. And it's going to rock your world. And you're like, holy cow, what happened? And it may be more than one. Right. It might just be that maybe you've had three child deaths at one time and that third one gets you. Right. And child deaths are, I mean, you don't have to have kids. hard for everybody. You don't have to want kids, but every time you work one, it's, it, it changes your world. You remember it. So. so we've discussed stress. We've talked about depression, anxiety, and we know just by talking about mental health, each of us in here has you know a big part in mental health and we advocate for it. And we know that that links to suicide. What are some statistics, Brad? Didn't you have some from? Bluehelp.org yeah. tracks officer suicide. And then uh, ODMP.org tracks line of duty deaths. And since 2016, suicides for law enforcement have outnumbered line of duty deaths. Wow. The numbers so far this year, line of duty deaths have been about 159. This year? This year alone. And suicides are at 73 this year alone. Wow. Okay. It's a, I want to say epidemic, but it is something that we're not addressing well. It's mm-hmm. continuing to happen. There is a study. It's called Firefighters Behavioral Health, and they keep stats of firefighter EMS and dispatch. Oh, oh awesome. Okay. And this is a private foundation for firefighters and EMS work. So 2021 for the firefighter community, that's reported. We got to think that mm-hmm. some suicides are not reported. About three times the actual number is not reported. Oh. So, well, and let's talk about that. Why Why aren't they reported for our listener? So we're going to take care of our own. We're going to mm-hmm. take care of our families, exactly. take care of our, our red family, our blue family, whatever organization that first responder came from, we're going to take care of their kids, their spouses. So we cover it up. Insurance, those different things are not going to pay out to that family if they know they committed suicide. So we have an officer that ran off the roads, hit a tree, no skid marks, no nothing like that. You can kind of, I mean, we're assuming, but we kind of know this officer committed suicide or he was cleaning his gun and accidental discharge. It happens. I'm not saying that that, Mm -hmm. that doesn't happen, but we're all trained professionals here and we all know these things are not what they seem. And the stats like Blue Help, all those different folks will tell you those things that it's higher than what's actually documented. Mm-hmm. These are the ones that they get reported to them. Right. And even those are high. So. Right. Yeah. And so. some officers, too, just talking about the different ways, like Keegan said, about the driving. But some will also stop wearing their vest. Yeah. Because they think that if it can happen in the line of duty, then they didn't do it themselves. So then right. they're saving face for their family. That's right. So that's usually a fault yeah. at some point. It's, I mean, it's, officers have the easy, they have it on their hip. They have that access right there at any time, any day. So that's why our numbers are so high because a thought comes in. I'm not a mental health professional or anything like that, but 
that thought comes in. I've talked to so many officers that say I had my gun out in my holster. That's that's pretty crazy. Like before I got into the peer world and into this line of work, I never would have thought that. You know, I would never would have thought that someone's sitting in their patrol car with their gun out of their holster just thinking about mm-hmm. it. What if I was gone? And the only thing that usually keeps them back is their family. Mm-hmm. You know, their kids come rolling in. And that's the same on the fire side. Fire guys carry guns too. You know, they have them in their vehicles. We got to start having these hard conversations with people. And the stats on fire from Firefighters Behavioral Health Alliance, the stats on that, you know, this year, 2021, there's been 30 firefighters and four EMTs. Their stats go back to 2013. I guess that's when they started calculating Mm -hmm. everything. So they do have some dispatchers in there. We haven't lost any dispatchers to suicide. That's been reported. 2020, we had one. We had 97 firefighters commit suicide and 26 EMTs committed suicide in 2020. And 2019 was the highest year for both sides. I don't know what changed it. You know, I don't know where it became easy mm-hmm. or something that was just right there. You know, we had 223 reported suicides for the police side. And I think there was 196 on the fire side. And that's 2019. And I think it was 176 last year. 172. 172 year, on the mm-hmm. police side. So we went down, but we're already at 73 this year. And yeah. the year's not even over. Um, and for four years in a row, it climbed. Right. And if you go on Blue Help, while we're talking about stats and stuff, you can go on there and you can, they have, if you scroll down, they have a thing that call, it's called the numbers. And it pulls up and it has different charts and different maps and it's updated. As soon as you pop it up, it updates it. But what I thought was really cool is you can go on the website and there's, so you got the picture of the United States. You can click on that and select your state. So I click on Georgia. Mm-hmm. There's two. Two officers committed suicide in the state of Georgia. And so it keeps track of different states and different things like that. And guys who are training this stuff, trying to promote mental health and stress management and all these different things, this is a great tool. Wendy, I met her at Cobb County. Her husband committed suicide, and he was with the state agency on the law enforcement side, and she's got a passion for this. So she's collecting the data. She's doing all these things. She's trying to prevent this stuff from happening. So, And they have tons of resources on there. I know. It's not just numbers. It's not just numbers. It's it's resources to get your officer's help, to get yourself Mm -hmm. help, whatever it may be. And blue help, and then you got red help, too. It works on the fire side. So when we talk about suicide, let's dive further into why would somebody feel this way? Why would somebody think that suicide is the answer? I know for me personally, it was at one point my thinking was this is the most selfish thing somebody could do is to take their life. Which is how a lot of people think of suicide. Amongst everybody else. It's not. It's Mm -hmm. one experiencing suicide attempts personally, not myself, but walking in while somebody was trying learning more about this. It's more about, I didn't want to ever die. I just want to end my pain. Mm-hmm. It's one yeah. of the quote was suicide is not about ending my life. It's about ending this life. It's not chosen. It's when all our resources are depleted and there is no other option that the individual sees. It's that disease of hopelessness, right. the mm-hmm. depression, no, no. the yeah. anxiety, the not coping, the not getting any help, not mm-hmm. feeling like I can talk to somebody. People saying, suck it up. Well, I can't, obviously, I can't go talk to him. Yeah. Who do I have to talk to? That's right. Not wanting to talk at home because we don't want to unload all that baggage on our family that we've experienced or seen through. And it just sits and mm-hmm. rots and festers and just compounds and makes it worse. So, what are some practical ways that people can get help? If they're stressed and just want someone to talk to or relate to. You can reach out to our office. It's uh, managed by a dispatch center at Georgia State Patrol. So even if it's 2 o'clock in the morning, you need someone to talk to. We're, there's a peer always on call. The number that you can call is 404-624-7638. And that, after hours, it will reach to the dispatch center and... You tell them that you just need to talk to a peer and they will go through the list and whoever's on call, they will reach out and you'll be in contact with a peer. 
And if that peer doesn't work for you or you just don't connect with that peer, mm-hmm. then we'll, we'll get you connected. Our peers are trained. I know that I can't relate with everybody. Mm-hmm. There's just some things that I have not been through or it's just how my personality is that we might conflict. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. It's not a hard feelings, but I'm not going to leave you stranded. I'm going to be there with you and make sure that transition to a next peer that can relate to you, that you might feel comfortable with, we're able to make that connection for you. Because we have 13 other states involved in this, so there's thousands of peers. Just because our office only has nine peers, we can get you connected. And we also have mental health on staff. That's awesome. Um, we have two mental health professionals that are trained in trauma. Now, so I think it's important also to let everybody know that peer group Peer counseling, peer conversations are protected under yes. under Georgia statute. So I remember right. which one offhand, but they are that is protected conversation when you talk to a peer. And that was passed in 2019, which our office was created, House Bill 703. It added dispatchers, corrections, the hero unit guys into the first responder category. But it also labels us as having privileged communication with whoever we talk to about an incident. We can't be asked to testify about a conversation. You know, if a chief, a sheriff, a battalion chief, whatever comes to us and says, hey, what did y'all talk about? I'm not going to discuss that. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's, we we hold that right. And the state of Georgia thought it was very important for us to have that right, to have that privileged communication, even though I'm not a doctor, I'm not a mental health professional, but they think that our conversations that we have with our peers should be privileged. And I think that's something, not all states have that. Now, there's majority have something like that, but not all of them do. Mm-hmm. So we're getting there and we're, we're the first state to have mental health and peers working together. I think it's very important to have those both sides because you have the peer side and then you got the professional side that can hit it from a different angle because even though it's a scary topic to be able to talk to a mental health professional, to talk to someone outside of our community, it's needed. The other way is nobody wants to hear this is our EAP, <laughs> employee assistance plans. I ask this question and nobody has any confidence in them being confidential. I know specifically the one we have here at the training center, the only thing human resources gets is a person went twice. They don't have names or anything that gets reported back to the agency. That is another source, another option. And a lot of times, four to eight different visits with a mental health professional. It doesn't necessarily have to be because you're feeling suicidal or I can't cope or things are just horrible. Or it can work. Be, or work. It could be a whole lot of other stuff. could just be divorce, married, just I need somebody life. to talk to. Life. Mm-hmm. It doesn't necessarily have to be that. Another way to get help, this is something I think we should do collectively, is make everybody go talk to a mental health expert once a year. Everybody. Sure. That way, when you do need it, it's there. You know the now person, no more, you know who to reach now out. There's, well, now there's no more stigma because everybody goes. Same, Where are you going? Yeah, more employees. Going, going to my, uh, you know, going to talk to the doc this year. And there's agencies all over the country that are hiring mental health to be for their officers. They're starting to do that plan. City of Conyers, Chief Freeman, he's made that possible for his people. Atlanta has that. They have EAP, but they know who their Mm -hmm. EAP is. So EAP's not the greatest. You'll hear war stories. You'll hear all kinds of things about them. But if that's all you got, that's what you got. And you got to work with it. And folks that are trying to start these things up, go and meet your EAPs, your local EAP representatives, your counselors, your different things like that, and get them familiar with your officers. It takes steps on our side as well to to bridge this gap and to break the stigma down. And we I, need a quick box checking. Oh, box, we got an EAP. Yeah. yeah. No and idea who they are, but we got one. And that's what we do. It's unfortunate, but that's that's how they look at it. We have something for our people. Yep. Check. They can call. And yeah. they can call. We don't know who's on the other line. We don't know what's what. But you have to do your homework for whoever that representative, the peer coordinator, whatever you may be that's responsible for your folks' mental health and well-being. They need to go and meet these people and say, hey, this is what we're going to be asking for. This is what our guys are going through. Because we've had guys call and they reach somebody else and they say, well, that's way above my pay grade. Well, well, who else am I supposed to call now? What am I supposed to do? And that's what's cool about our office and the other peer groups around the state is that we've come together and brought mental health professionals throughout different regions of the state that are vetted by first responders. 
if Brad goes to one a mental health professional, I'm more likely to see the one that Brad is seeing mm-hmm. because it's working for Brad. Yeah. If he says, oh, they did awesome and I've told them everything and it's great and I know what Brad has been through, I'm more likely to go and yeah. seek that same person because yeah. it's helping Brad. So, And that's how we vet our mental health professionals. You know, We just don't pull them off the street and say, hey, can you work with first responders? <laughs> no, that doesn't work because... Run some of them off. Right. <laughs> it's going to run some of them off and you're going to get some that just, oh, well, that's a paycheck. We don't want that. We want mental health to be at the top of you train, fight, lift weights, do all that stuff. But if your mental health is not there, you're not 100%. You're not going to be an effective officer or fireman, first responder, because you're always going to have something on the back of your mind. So we've got to be able to reach out. What was the peer support number again, Keegan? So the office number is 404-624-7638. And I'll give my cell number out too. It's 404-216-5544. And I ask if, if someone's seeing this and they're listening to this, send me a text because I get calls all the time about my car insurance and about my warranties and I probably won't answer it. So send me a text, say, Hey, I heard you on the podcast or I met you somewhere. That way I can make sure it's a legitimate person and not a a scam. So aside from those numbers, what else could people do to manage their stress? If you went back in time and you were able to tell yourself, okay, this is what's going to make the change in your life. What would you tell your young self? Um, communication with your spouse, with somebody. It doesn't, I mean, we're not all married out there. Now we've probably all been married and divorced and 14 different times um, <laughs> because that's just the nature of our business. Because you didn't communicate. That's because we didn't one. communicate with the first one. And if you go back and we talk to officers all the time, they'll say, man, if this program was mm-hmm. around when I was first married to my first wife, then I'd probably still be with her. So that communication is key. And it's, not coming home and telling them all the gory stuff, but it's coming home and saying, I had a hard day. And, you know, if they want to hear the gory stuff, then let them hear it. Mm-hmm. We're not protecting them. There's no way we can protect them from that because you're hurting them. Now, back in the day, you didn't have Facebook. You didn't have the news that was there. And everyone didn't have cell phones walking around showing exactly what you're doing and what you're going through at every point of that incident. So there's no way to hide and say, oh, I had a great day when you're on TV working a fatality. Or like my wife, she got called 15 different times before I was able to call her Mm -hmm. when I got shot. Because the news was already there. They knew, you know. So there's no way for us to say, we're good. Nothing happened because it's out there. So I would say the communication part is is key and letting them choose what they want to hear. About you, Brad? I agree with that. I think communication is one. I think another one is acceptance. There are things in life that we just have to accept, especially in this line of work, public safety, you know. Dispatch, communication, firefighters, cops, EMTs. You cannot save everybody and you cannot do everything. The other thing is to, to think about is meaningfulness. I tell this to my classes that if it was easy, anyone could do it. It takes someone special to do what you do. That's right. 100%. 100%. And having that meaningfulness and accepting the fact that you can't change and control everything, I think, gets rid of some of that burden and stress. That's right. And I'd also like to add, too, that, you know, we gave these numbers and Maybe you do try some of these techniques, you do self-care, but that doesn't mean that just because that self-care doesn't work, that there's something wrong with you. It's okay to reach out. It's okay to ask for help. And even if you don't reach out to that peer support number that Keegan gave you, if you have somebody else you trust that you can reach out to, please do that. We're all about taking care of yourself and making sure that you are mentally fit and you are mentally okay. And I want to say something about self-care. I mean, self-care is not going to get a massage once a month. That's not self-care. You know, that feels good. Our mental health professional, he, he says it's, it's a daily task. Self-care is daily. And the first responder community, we, we make it hard on ourselves, either long hours, working too much, that we can't take that time to do self-care. But we have to find some time to take <clears throat> self-care. And, and that's either going out and exercising, eating healthier, small steps. But I encourage people to take that step and find that time. If you can sit in your bed and watch TikTok or any social media avenues for an hour, you could probably do something for that hour. Walk around the block while you're watching it. While you're watching it. And it's taking these steps because we all have seen those officers that their belly hangs over the gun belt. And how the heck are you going to supposed to get to your gun? You know, that's not healthy. That's not safe. But then we also know the officers that have a heart attack at 30 years old because they're so stressed out. Mm-hmm. 
you know, and that's might have a medical issue, but usually it's stress and you've held that stress in so much. But I encourage folks to get back to their hobbies, get back to yourself, whatever made you happy, go and do that. Hobbies are usually the first thing to go in the first responder community because we don't have time because there's money to be made. There's family time. There's these different things, but you got to go do something every day. If that's meditation, whatever it may be Mm -hmm. for you, go do it. If you can change your mind, you can change everything about your life. You can change your perspective. You can change everything. Just like earlier, the example, that person thought they were exposed to something, but they actually weren't. But in their mind, they convinced themselves that they were. So they actually caused the stress themselves. I think Keegan said it's small steps. I've heard that success has been defined as small steps repeated daily. Mm -hmm. It's not a oh, let me try this one time and everything's perfect and it's done. It's continuous. Yes. It's not a, there is no fix. Mm -hmm. The fix is to actually change how we live life. Yeah. Is there any final thoughts or words or anything you want to share as we're wrapping this up? No, please reach out. And to the folks that are being reached out to, don't let it scare you because we got to have the hard conversations. It's all of our responsibility to change the stigma. Everyone that listens to this podcast, everyone I go to, and we tell them it's your responsibility. It's I, it's my responsibility to help change this culture in the first responder community. But mm-hmm. let's have those hard conversations yeah. and know your resources, know where to get help. We know what to do on a crime scene. We know what to do with a juvenile. We know what to do with this, but we don't know what to do when our brothers and sisters reach out to us for help. I think that's pretty sad. And I was in the same boat. I had no clue. But I had to be trained. I had to be taught. And it it takes uh, to get that in there. Be prepared. Be prepared. I would say that when you ask somebody how they're doing, mean it and be prepared for somebody to be honest. Absolutely. Yeah. Listen. Get rid of the how you doing as a head nod walking down the hallway. If you're going to say that, mean it. Mm -hmm. And you know your partners. You know your brothers and sisters. You work with them every day. You know if something's going on in their lives. Have a conversation. Are you okay? And mean it, like Brad said. Mm -hmm. Mean it. And be prepared for the worst. It might not be, but be prepared and know, okay, I'm here with you. Don't leave them alone. I think that's the biggest thing is feeling alone and nowhere else to go. Give them avenues. Give them different things. Give them resources. You know, and if you can't do it, give us a call. Shoot us a text. Whatever that may be, we will help you. We do it every day. All right. Thank y'all so much. And we just want to remind you that you can come to Brad's stress management class at Gypstick in person. And thank you, Keegan, Brad. Thank you for coming. And we hope you have enjoyed this episode. And again, you can leave us feedback and or topic suggestions at our email. Also, be sure to tune back in for another podcast that we'll have with Keegan and Brad about resiliency. That will be a good follow up to this episode. Thank y'all. Thanks for listening to Gypstick Between the Lines. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. If you'd like to reach out, email us at learn at gpstc.org.